0: Previously on Mona's Isle. You're going to put that blasted console away right now or I'm keeping it for the rest of the trip. There's no Wi-Fi. Of course there's no Wi-Fi. What did you expect? You said she was getting a widget box installed for the TV. They need the internet. Internet? Why would she do that? Maybe to talk to my friends? Oh, grow up, Rory. Your brother's three years younger than you and you don't see him acted up like this, do you? been awful quiet Ashley. You feeling okay? Not really. I want Rory to be my friend. She still is Ashley. She's just a bit lost. We'll have ourselves a lovely day tomorrow. Don't you fret. Trade de is what we say here Ashley. Means there's time enough yet. Is your sister in here? Don't worry. Please, just go back to sleep. Midnight was lost. She was doing her best to catch up with the rest of her troop, but they'd left camp hours before, and had more than likely already arrived at the Sidorian Citadel. The path back at the Outland Camp would have led her onto the High Road, but that route was as good as offering yourself on a plate to beasts and bandits alike. With neither the safety of numbers or much to protect herself packed into her bag, it was hardly worth the risk. The other signposted option would have taken her over the frozen slopes of the stony mountain pass. For that, she'd have needed a bear hide. But they weren't easy to come by, and she'd only recently sold hers off to a goat herd, as it was frankly exhausting to carry it around in the sunnier climes of the lowlands. So. Presented with two imperfect options, Midnight did what any sane person would do. She chose neither and simply hoped for the best. Before too long, it became clear why this third route was not a route at all. Working off instinct alone had led her right into the heart of what could only be described as the largest marsh she'd ever come across. She dug around in her pack for her map and compass, to try and get her bearings amongst the endless reeds and squelching. From what she could fathom, the citadel was due west, about ten or so miles beyond a small river. It looked pretty insignificant on the map, but as she approached the banks, it became obvious that it was far too wide for her to swim across. She made her way upstream, hoping that the channel would narrow, Instead, it just meandered through miles and miles of boggy fields. No bridge appeared. That would have been far too convenient. There was, however, a small wooden barge moored up to the bank and a tall, raggedy-looking man leaning on an oar. Midnight crept closer, ready to draw her daggers if the need arose. In her experience, such fellows rarely turned out to be whom they appeared. Good day, weary traveller. Do you seek passage across the water? Midnight had never understood why the locals chose to speak this way. She shouted "I!" in reply, hoping that it really would be that straightforward. You are welcome aboard my barge, but the bargeman's business is a treacherous one, and the Guild insists that I take my payment in advance. Passage for one is seven hundred stubbins. She snorted in disgust. You could buy a dragon egg from the outland market for 850 Besides, she was returning from a supplies run, so her pack was full of foraged items for crafting and potions. Surely they would accept a trade instead. It wasn't as though business was booming on this lonely riverbank. The man craned in to see the contents of her pack. There is nothing in that satchel that is of use to a bargeman. However... I am in great need of a newly sewn pair of bargemen's breeches." This was exactly the kind of request that turned into a monumental waste of time. She strongly considered turning away and taking her chances on the high road, but having already come this far, it was hard to tell how much time that would add on to her journey. If she was going to catch up with the rest of her troop before they all went to bed, there was no other choice but to make the crossing. Fine. I'll make your stupid trousers. I see you have the thread in your pack, but you will need a very particular cloth. I've heard there is some to be found at the chapel, not too far from here. Head north until you find the building with the fresh roof of thatch. Inside should be all you need to make a fine pair of breeches. That was it. Visit a church. As instructed, she used her compass to head north through the marshes Soon enough, she spotted the freshly thatched chapel. It was only a little place, and if not for the bell fixed above the entrance, could have easily been mistaken for a farmer's store. As she approached, the marsh reeds got higher and wilder, and the wind whipped them into a frenzy. She pulled her daggers from her pack and slashed herself a track through the ferns, right up to the heavy wooden door. She rapped at the door three times. It opened and everything around her faded away. listening to Mona's Isle, a bewitching tale of adventure and folklore told by me, Kyle Whittington, and a host of the Isle of Man's finest actors. So settle in for the Manx myths, mystery, and magic set to unfold. Episode five, A Roof of Thatch. When the light came back, she could see a solitary chaplain praying by candlelight. He turned and approached her. He looked quite frail and deeply relieved to see her. My prayers have been answered. A brave soul has been delivered unto us to see this roof through the night this wasn't what she'd signed up for without so much as a word she'd become a tailor and now a caretaker too all to get across a river she had a fair few questions for the chaplain but he cut in first with his own do you believe in ghosts midnight shook her head then you're a bolder soul than most round here the thatchers came to put on this roof two moons ago The first night, a dreadful sound was heard from the village, and in the morning we came to find planks and trusses scattered across the pasture. The roof had been torn clean off. Again they came and put it up, but that very night it blew down just like the first. Put fear into the hearts of the villagers. (laughs) You should hear the tales they're telling." He gestured to the ceiling. "'This is the third roof. The Thatchers, who weren't frightened off by the stories, came just this morning to put it on. And I've been praying this one survives the night. Under your protection, it could stand a chance. She tried to chip in with her questions, but no opportunity presented itself. The chaplain vanished, and she found herself alone in the haunted chapel. She tried the main door, but it was bolted shut from the outside. Whatever mess she'd found herself in, there was no turning back now. If she was trapped here for the night, the best thing she could do was make the bargeman's stupid breeches. She found a section of cloth for each leg tucked away among the pews, but the waist piece proved a little more challenging to locate. Something appeared to be glistening in the chapel font, and beneath the water she spotted a key. Her first hope was that it would open the doors, but it didn't fit. In a shadowy corner by the altar, she realized that there was another wooden door. The key fit this one, and opened into a separate little vestry. She searched the room from top to bottom, finding the final piece of cloth and the needle and thimble that she'd need to sew them all together, tucked away in an old desk drawer. All of a sudden, there was a loud thud. The candles blew out, leaving the room in complete darkness. Not wanting to stay a moment longer than she had to, Midnight rushed back to the altar and relit a few of the candles herself using a torch from her pack. In the dim candlelight, she got to work sewing the cloth pieces into breeches. No matter how much she rushed, the needle refused to move through the material any quicker than one slow stitch at a time. About halfway through, the gathered material became so thick it all but refused to be pierced by the needle at all. She heard the wind picking up outside, and branches of trees came to scutch at the chapel windows. If she didn't get the stupid thing done soon, she'd end up stranded. If the bargeman's guild was so particular about payments and gear, then she could hardly imagine him giving her passage in the midst of a storm. Out of nowhere, the ground shook so violently that the floorboard split right down the aisle between the pews. Below, there was darkness, and from it came a deep and menacing snarl. Ah. Amid a chorus of cracking beams and floorboards, a monstrous head with two great tusks emerged. It locked eyes with her. She'd walked right into a trap. Do you not see my fierce head? Midnight kept stitching. However fearsome this beast was, it was not going to cost her a ticket to cross the river. She had no time to confront it, and besides her two daggers, she didn't have much in the way of weapons either. It was a dangerous game to play, but she was going to have to call its bluff. I've seen fiercer. The creature was not at all happy with being ignored. It wrenched its broad, hairy shoulders up through the boards. <laughs> a thick arm, coated in coarse black hair, shot toward her, pinning her against the altar. It continued to clamber further out of the hole. Ah! It stood upright, showing its wrinkled, leathery belly and two powerful hind legs. Do you not see my long arms? Yeah. What about them? Was it going to battle her, or just talk her to death? It was certainly quite monstrous. But midnight was no novice when it came to battling beasts she'd encountered many nearly twice the size of this one in normal circumstances it wouldn't have been anything she couldn't handle but it had managed to show up at a really bad time her best idea for not having to confront it was to finish the breeches as quickly as she could and run but trying to stitch faster had not been working even before this ugly thing had reared its head desperate times called for desperate measures, and Midnight dug into her pack to find one of the two haste potions she had kept in reserve. They weren't the easiest to make and even harder to come by, but it felt like a good moment to make use of one. She swallowed the liquid from the small bottle, and for a brief moment, everything in her field of view turned a light purple. Her hands raced their way through the final stitches, and in a few moments, the breeches were complete. The beast pushed a sickle-like nail against her throat. Do you not see my pony fingers? My mighty claws? With the finished breeches now safely in her pack, there was no need to stick around for any more of the beast's bragging. She ducked down to crawl away between its legs and sprint to the doors. They were still locked, so she turned toward a window instead. Leaping from a pew, she drew her daggers and swiped at the glass, smashing her way through and back out onto the miserable marshes. She'd done it. She just needed to get back to the bargemen before the bad weather got any worse. Just as she broke into a sprint, the ground shook with a great tremor. (laughs) Glancing over her shoulder, she could see the freshly thatched roof had been torn to shreds. Do you not see this huge body of mine? Midnight didn't let up in her sprint back to the bargemen, but the marshes were boggy from the rain and was zapping away more of her limited energy with every stride. Now, tall enough to clear the walls of the ruined chapel in a single step, the beast shook the ground in a series of thuds as it ran to catch her. To pick up the pace she needed to outrun it, Midnight had stopped hacking her way through the marsh reeds and had dug in her pack to find the last haste potion. It was all she had, and it would have to do. Through another purple haze, she rocketed over to the bargeman and handed him the breeches. The bargeman launched into a slew of congratulatory nonsense, but Midnight had no time for it. The beast was still hot on her tail. She couldn't believe it. How could this thing still be after her? Do you not see the fire in these eyes of mine? Grasping hold of the bargeman's hand, she was pulled aboard the rickety barge and he pushed them away from the marshy bank. The beast had now grown even larger still, its legs as tall and thick as tree trunks. It stopped at the water's edge, so furious that its eyes were ablaze in yellow flame. With each stroke of the oar, the bargeman swept them further away. She knew from her training that no matter how large it grew, a fire beast could never cross a river. The beast growled, and Midnight turned to look back at the riverbank. With both of its enormous clawed hands, it tore off its own head. (coughs) The yellow eyes erupted, engulfing the whole of the detached head in flames. It drew both of its arms back, and she realized what was about to happen. The beast threw its arms forward, sending its fiery head flying through the air toward the barge. She couldn't survive in the water. She'd never make it back to shore. There was no escape. It exploded on impact, and she tumbled into the murky river. Rory sat in stunned silence. She was perched in a small shelter at the far end of the churchyard. A little after dinner, seeing no reason to stick around any longer, she'd snuck out of her bedroom window over the outhouse and wandered her way down the track toward the village. The wind had all but gone and the air was pleasant, but she wasn't intending to enjoy an evening stroll. All the way, she'd been refreshing the connection on her widget console desperately hoping to find a network to join. She entered the yard through the kissing gate, and as she worked a route around all the old headstones and memorials, the widget chirped happily, having picked up a few bars of signal from an open network called Old Parsonage. The signal got stronger still as she passed the Millennium Stone and came to sit down in a little slate-roofed hut which housed an assortment of crumbled stone crosses. She perched on the stone ledge surrounding the hut and, despite the rather odd surroundings, felt a hint of home for the first time in the whole trip. Messages from her Athalonia game poured through, which was when she discovered that the rest of her troop from school had completed their tour of the Eastern Plains and arrived at the Citadel earlier that afternoon. At the time, she thought it would be pretty straightforward. Completing the campaign mode had made her a very experienced traveller, So she settled in for the evening on the cold stone, hoping to catch them up. Hours passed and the sun was finally setting on the long summer's day. The stones of the churchyard cast long shadows over the hut as Rory watched midnight slowly sink into the river's murky depths. Game over, rippled across the screen as it faded to black. The best that the respawn menu offered was to continue from last save, but that would take her all the way back to the outland camp. There was no way she would make it to where her friends were before she lost the last of the daylight. She was fuming. She put the widget down on the ledge and held her head in her hands. Her eyes felt heavy, but with a deep breath she sniffed back the tears before they came. Crying was childish. It was not something Rory did. How had the beast managed to get the better of her so easily? And for that matter, what on earth was it? She looked around her at the church and the dark shadows in the hut. Out of the corner of her eye, she caught something moving, scuttling between the stones in the yard. She stood up, looking from one stone to the next. Whatever it was, it was moving too quickly for her to catch another glimpse. The dying light had made the place feel quite strange. And now that she was no longer focusing on the console, Rory felt oddly aware of her eerie surroundings. There was the flick of a latch and a creak as a wooden door opened some way beyond the hedge behind her. Someone whistled so softly it could have been mistaken for the wind. Something furry darted past her boots. It was heading for the bushes behind the hut. In the twilight haze, she could make out four legs and a fluff ball of a head. Hurry, where are you, you silly cat? The cat disappeared under the hedge, and with a click, the shadowy leaves shone in a stark white glow. On the driveway was a pasty-looking boy, about her age, with a head full of coarse brown hair. He was crouching down to give the cat a scratch under its chin. Oh, Mum thought you weren't coming back tonight. In the light, Rory could make out the cat a little better. It was speckled in white and ginger, and as it arched its back, she could see that there was a little stump at the top of its hind legs, but no tail. It was the cat from Granny's. In her curiosity, she leant so far into the hedge that the branches gave way, gracelessly depositing her onto the patch of lawn beyond. listening to Mona’s Isle. To get in touch or to learn more about the magic, myths and making of the podcast, go to Mona’sisle.im or find us on Instagram at Mona’s Isle. Subscribe to join us next time as the adventure continues in episode 6, Evi. This episode of the Mona’s Isle podcast has been created by me, Kyle Withington, with the support of the Isle of Man Arts Council and Culture Vannon. It features an original score by David Kilgallen. The podcast is produced and edited by Catherine Thornley and Joseph Maddock, and recorded by David Armstrong and Lewis Withington. The characters in this episode were voiced by Jack Divers, Chris Kane, Alice Smith, and David Artis. Thank you for listening, and the full show notes are available on our website.